Welcome to On the Ballot with Ballotpedia, where we take a closer look at the top political stories of the day. Ballotpedia connects people to politics by providing neutral, nonpartisan, and reliable information on our government, how it works, and where it's headed. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for being with us. We're back with our second installment in our RCV Explained series, taking a deep dive into ranked choice voting. As the policy gains more attention and more ballot measures and bills aimed to either expand, limit, or ban RCV, we're here with everything you need to know. What RCV is, how it works, its track record, the arguments in favor and against, and where it's headed in 2024. Today, we're exploring the arguments in favor of expanding ranked choice voting. And I'm joined by Deb Otis, Director of Research at Fair Vote, a nonpartisan organization advocating for voting reform. Deb joined the Fair Vote team in 2020, and her areas of research include comparative electoral systems, political polarization, redistricting, the Electoral College, and election recounts. Deb, thanks for coming on the show today. Hi, Victoria. Thanks for having me. So to start, how did you get involved with Fair Vote and what made you want to focus your research on voting reform? I've been at Fair Vote for almost four years now. I come to this from uh, previously working in the private sector, but I got involved volunteering with a local campaign working on ranked choice voting. And I got more and more interested in this issue. And so when the opportunity came to go work for Fair Vote, do that career change, uh, kind of turn the side hustle into a career, do this professionally, of course, I jumped at that opportunity. Uh, and so I lead our research and policy team at Fair Vote, uh, and it's been great so far. And Fair Vote focuses on a wide array of electoral reforms, but what does your work related to ranked choice voting specifically look like? So we do uh, election analysis, particularly around election weeks like we just had in November. We prep for upcoming ballot questions and upcoming elections that use ranked choice voting. And my favorite part, after the elections, we get to dig into the data about what happened, how voters use the ranked ballot. Did voters like it? Did voters rank multiple candidates and questions like that? And then all throughout the year, we publish a variety of reports, white papers, policy papers, blogs, you name it, that both make the case for why we need reform, what are the problems in our, our current elections, and making the case for how ranked choice voting works in practice, how it solves those problems. Well, your answer was a great segue into my next question, since we are coming off an election season. There's quite a bit of news involving ranked choice voting in November. There were It was on the ballot in several localities and then also used in a few elections. So can you walk us through some of the highlights from this past election and how RCV perform on the ballot and then how did it work in practice? Yeah, it was a big year for ranked choice voting. It won five ballot measures, all five cities that were voting on it. And that is 27 city ballot measure wins in a row. So there is some momentum behind this thing. Uh, this is the fastest growing nonpartisan voting reform in the nation right now. And in addition to all of those new cities uh, opting in and choosing to use ranked choice for future elections, we also had about 20 cities voting with ranked choice just in their regular elections. I think one of my favorite parts of the ranked choice voting adoption lifestyle is the second and the third use of ranked choice voting when ranked choice is not the story anymore. This is just how voters vote in these cities. So places like Minneapolis, they have had it in place for over a decade. And there are a lot of stories around their elections, but this isn't one of them. To voters in that city and many others, voting means ranking. And I love to see that normalization of it across the country. In three localities in Michigan, they voted on RCV, but it's not taking effect. Can you kind of explain that to uh, our listeners why that is? 
Sure. Uh, there is a issue with state law in Michigan that seems to possibly prevent localities from using ranked choice voting. And so there is a local group, uh, Rank My Vote, that's MI like Michigan, uh, that is working on uh, getting that changed. And so they're working with the state legislature to pass a bill to let cities and towns opt in to clarify that they can do so. And so there are now five cities in Michigan, the, the three that passed it this year, plus a few others who passed it previously, who are ready to adopt this as soon as they can. Uh, and so we've got local activists working on the ground to try to change the conditions there so all of these voters can opt in. I think cities are sending a powerful message to state legislators right now that they want to use this method and uh, lawmakers can clear the way and, and let cities do that. Very interesting. Um, so folks who are opposed to RCV often cite the confusion of ranked choice voting as one of the reasons why it shouldn't be adopted. So could you give us like the talking to a fifth grader explanation of ranked choice voting? Boil it down for our listeners. Well, you know, I think fifth graders are a really good audience for this. Uh, if you were to ask a fifth grader who is their favorite superhero, you're not getting one. You're getting a ranked list. You're going to hear their favorite, their second favorite, and their third favorite, whether you wanted that or not. So I, I think it's really natural then to translate this and say, well, if we're voting for president, shouldn't we vote the same way. Uh, and so, you know, to explain ranked choice voting, I would tell someone when you go to vote, you have the option to rank candidates in order of preference. You get to pick a first choice like always, but you also get to mark a second choice and a third choice and so on. If your first choice doesn't get enough support, if your first choice can't win, your vote goes to count for your highest ranked candidate who's still in the race. This gives your vote more power and it elects winners who have the broadest support. And does RCV differ from localities or states when it is implemented, or is are the rules the same in every um, RCV election? Well, there are two big ways to do ranked choice voting. A lot of our offices, like president, like senator, like governor, are single winner offices where you're electing just one person. And so that's called single winner ranked choice voting. You elect someone who gets more than 50% of the vote. But we also have a lot of offices that are called multi-winner. A lot of cities elect their city councils, maybe vote for four to elect four seats all at one time. That's a multi-winner race. If you use ranked choice voting in that multi-winner context, it's a form of proportional representation. And so there are differences here. A lot of places can use the single winner version for the single winner seats and the multi-winner version for multi-winner seats. Other places maybe will go all single winner version, for example. And so there are some choices that policymakers get to make when when implementing this. Very fascinating. So I cover ballot measures, so I'm very familiar with RCV gaining momentum, especially on with ballot measure implementation. So just since 2016, there were 10 cities and now we see 50 cities, counties and states uh, using RCV. So let's walk through some of the arguments in favor of that as it's gaining momentum. Um, the first, probably the most obvious because it's in the name, is choice. Can you spell out for us why you believe it's so important that voters have more options on Election Day? Right now, voters have to do this uh, strategic voting dance. We're seeing it with possible threats in the presidential race of a third party. Voters get told, make sure not to waste your vote. Vote for vote for one of the front runners so your vote is counted. And that's ridiculous. We need a system where qualified candidates are welcome on the ballot to run and connect with voters and have their voice heard. 
and where voters are free to vote for them. So right now, our choices are being really stifled. Almost every race ends up collapsing into just the same two options every time, when really there's a lot more political diversity than that, and voters deserve the chance to express their true preferences. Uh, Diversity is another argument that RCV proponents make. Why does RCV promote more diverse candidates on the ballot? Yeah, we've seen evidence that you get more diverse candidates running and more women and people of color winning with ranked choice voting. There are a couple of different reasons for this. I think one of the biggest ones is that ranked choice voting eliminates the vote splitting problem. If you're in a non-ranked choice race, say you have uh, one candidate running, there's another candidate who is thinking about running, but they might appeal to a similar base of voters. In our current elections, that candidate would be discouraged. We see this sometimes in in groups that encourage women to run. There's this narrative that, well, if there's already one strong woman candidate in the race, let's not have another woman run who could potentially split the vote of people that want to see more women in office. And so that stifles the number of candidates who even appear on the ballot. And then if two candidates do run, they, uh, they have a similar base of support. They can split up that base. Even if that's the majority opinion, you can kind of divide it and neither of them will win if you know half of that base votes for one and half for the other. And so it, it's these two problems together, preventing candidates from running. And then if they do run, preventing either of them from winning. And so by allowing more diverse candidate fields in the first place and preventing the vote splitting problem, ranked choice voting is helping a lot. And the way this works for a voter is... If you've got two candidates you love, great. Rank them first and second. If one of them doesn't make it to the final round, your vote counts for the other. So communities are consolidating power instead of dividing power. The next argument is RCV makes it more affordable for elections to be administered. Why would that be? Uh, That happens primarily if cities choose to collapse two rounds of elections into one. If you have one election going to a one ranked choice election, you're not really going to see those cost savings. But a lot of cities right now hold runoff elections, like the Denver mayor's race this year. They held a first round. And then between the top two candidates, voters had to go back and vote a second time between those finalists. And so their election administration costs are twice as high as they need to be. Their neighbors in Boulder voted with ranked choice voting for the mayor for the first time this year. And I think some some Denver voters are probably looking over at their neighbors and thinking, oh, wow, they got a mayor right away. They only had to show up once. Uh, And so I think folks are seeing not just the cost savings, but the convenience for voters only having to vote once. Uh, And so that's one of the reasons that I think ranked choice voting is spreading at the municipal level. Got it. And then finally, how do you think RCV can make campaigns more positive? Well, you need a majority to win. You can't just target one niche base and then start mudslinging and being negative and nasty towards everyone else. If you know that you need that 50% mark to win, you might not get there on first choices. So as a candidate, you might need to be second choice and third choice in order to amass that majority support. And so this causes candidates to tone down the rhetoric a little bit, try to be appealing to more than half of the voters. I think in a democracy like ours, that should be the lowest bar getting to 50%. And that takes reaching out to a broad base of voters and not alienating huge groups of people with negativity. We're going to move on to uh, RCV in practice. So opponents often cite different snafus when RCV is implemented. One that comes to mind is Alameda County and their school board election last uh, November, where the wrong winner was declared 
Victor. Can you explain that to our listeners and how that was resolved and how other elections uh, could avoid that mistake? Sure. We'll, we'll start by saying ranked choice voting has been successful for more than a decade in the Bay Area. Uh, Oakland and other cities like Berkeley and San Francisco have used it for years. They have increased their diversity. They have doubled the turnout by collapsing two elections into one, and they have reduced racial disparities in turnout, leveling the playing field. So there are a lot of good narratives coming out of Oakland and the Bay Area of California. But this particular school board race was a human error in the software that tabulates votes the administrators checked the wrong box. So they use a Dominion voting software, which is a common one that's used around the country. Places that use ranked choice voting have a software add-on from Dominion that tabulates that ranked choice race. And just like any other election, there are a set of check boxes for, you know, what are the rules of this election? How are we going to treat write-in candidates? How are we going to treat overvotes, like a ballot error? And If you select the wrong boxes, it tabulates it differently. This is true in ranked choice and non-ranked choice. And so in this case, it was such a close race that this incorrect setting changed the outcome. And the setting that that the administrators used is actually one that's not allowed under Oakland uh, City Charter. And so they did have to rerun that election. They ended up electing the, the correct winner there. Um, and so I would emphasize this is a human error. It's not specific to ranked choice voting. We see similar things around the country. We are putting a lot on election administrators right now. It's a hard job. These people are human. These mistakes happen. Uh, there was a school board race in New Jersey at the same time, that same uh, election that elected the wrong winner. But it took longer to catch and correct the New Jersey one because single choice races tend to not release the same breadth of data that you get from ranked choice, where outside observers can catch the mistake and notify the administrators to fix it, which is what happened in Oakland. And so, I mean, the good news on this is there are things that can be done to increase transparency and help election administrators. Alameda County is the county where where Oakland is located. They've taken some steps already. There is a new election oversight commission like they have across the Bay in San Francisco. And so that's going to help make key decisions more transparent in the process and improve communication and education. And so we're seeing the correct steps being taken for sure. Sounds good. Um, How about so Going back to elections, one of the reference flashpoints was last year's uh, special congressional election in Alaska for RCV, where Democrat Mary Petola defeated former Governor Sarah Palin and Republican Nick Begich. Uh, This was the first election in Alaska where they used RCV for a congressional race. Combined, the two Republicans received 60 percent of the vote. So in theory, if all of the Republican votes had gone for one Republican candidate, the Republican candidate might have defeated the Democrat. That's the theory. Do you see where the people who were disappointed with how RCV functioned in this specific election are coming from and how might you address their concerns? Sure. I think those are valid questions. Uh, You know, in Alaska, if we look at the elections across the board, overall, uh, Republicans did better with with ranked choice voting in Alaska. For the governorship, they reelected a very conservative Republican governor. And then, of course, in the Senate race, they reelected Senator Lisa Murkowski, who is a moderate Republican. But in that House race, that's where they elected the moderate Democrat. And so, you know, two out of three went to Republicans. So what happened in this in this race that went to the Democrat? It's a, it's a great question. I think that was the race that had Sarah Palin in it. And that loss is really not about ranked choice voting. Palin had 60 percent disapproval in Alaska among Alaskan voters, and she couldn't overcome that when 
more than half of voters don't like you and don't want to vote for you, ranked choice voting is going to make it even harder, unfortunately, for that type of candidate. On top of that, Palin attacked the other Republican in the race and discouraged voters from ranking. So it's no surprise that many of the voters for the other Republican chose not to rank Sarah Palin second. So the, the person that won there, Mary Peltola, the Democrat, was in first place among the first choice votes. Ranked choice voting helped Palin kind of close that gap and catch up a little bit, but not enough people voted for her. Not enough people ranked her anywhere on their ballots to close that gap. And so as far as the 60% stat, sure, folks will say 60% of people ranked one of the two Republicans first, but we vote for candidates, not for parties. When Larry Hogan wins in Maryland or Laura Kelly wins in Kansas, these are these are governors from the opposite party of the party that typically controls those states. We don't say, well, 60% of the state typically likes the other party. We say, oh, in this race, they picked, say, a, a Democrat or a Republican in these states. And so ranked choice voting allows voters to consolidate behind the candidate with the most support and in this race in Alaska, that was not Sarah Palin. Uh, ranked choice cannot help overcome the huge deficit that she had going into this race in that state. And heading into 2024, what is on the agenda for fair vote? 2024 is going to be a big year for ranked choice voting and for fair vote. We will have ranked choice voting in some presidential elections, which is exciting. We know presidential news will dominate the news cycle for sure. Ranked choice voting is going to be used in the presidential general elections in Alaska and Maine, along with their other ranked choice races. Uh, it's also going to get used in presidential primaries in several states. And now this is one of my favorite uses for ranked choice voting. Presidential primaries are chaos, and they're kind of a unique beast in our election systems. They are really crowded fields. You know, you get a dozen candidates running at a time, and they're volatile. So just over the last couple of weeks, on the Republican side, we have lost a couple of high-name candidates who dropped out of the race, Tim Scott and Mike Pence. And so when that happens halfway through a presidential primary, once some states have already started voting, then people who might have voted earlier mailed in a ballot for those candidates, then the candidate drops out, you've got a wasted vote. This happened to 3 million Democrats last cycle when Democrats had the crowded field, and it happened to more than half a million Republicans last time they had a crowded field back in 2016. It's going to happen again this year. But places using ranked choice voting for their presidential primaries solve that problem. You vote for a, uh, a candidate who, who then drops out of the race, well, you've already marked on your ballot who your second choice is going to be. So if your top choice isn't, isn't making it, you still get your vote counted. And so this is a better way to hear from all primary voters. So we're really excited to see this. U.S. Virgin Islands is going to be doing this for their Republican primary as well as Maine, and then four states on the Democratic side. Uh, we'll also see ranked choice voting ballot measures. Again, we had a number of cities voting this year. Next year, we're looking for some states. Uh, we're definitely going to see ballot measures in Oregon and Nevada and possibly Idaho, D.C., and maybe even Colorado. So we have the chance to really expand the map here on the number of voters using ranked choice voting between those states and a number of large cities. Like we're seeing big pushes in, say, Denver and Boston and, and other big cities. And so I think between the presidential election really making the case for us and then all of these new adoptions at state and city level, it's going to be a really exciting year. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to watch it all play out. That's all the questions I have for you. I really appreciate all your expertise. I know our listeners do as well, because this is such a new and fascinating topic. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This was great. 
And for our listeners, next week I'll be interviewing Trent England from Stop RCV to walk through the arguments against RCV. Listeners, be sure to check out the rest of the RCV Explained series if you missed it in your podcast feed. And we'll be back next week with another episode. I'm Victoria Rose, and as always, thanks for listening.